Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today we're continuing our series. We're in week three of All In. And if you've been with us, you know that in week one, we talked about how all in brings opportunity. All in, it begins with an opportunity to go all in. And we talked about how that opportunity came up and how the Lord uh, stirred, how God stirred the heart of King Cyrus. And then week two, we talked about how when you go all in, you often face opposition. How many of you face that? You go all in and you're like, where'd this wall come from? Where'd this obstacle come from? It's that realization that when we go all in, that there are forces in this world that fight against the will of the Lord, but how God just uh, enables us to triumph. So, and today, as we look at, th- at week three, we're looking at how Ezra is establishing order because when we go all in, all in with God brings order to our life. And aren't, aren't you so thankful for that? You know, if it's, it's, uh, oftentimes, you know, a fool is often separated from their freedom. We, order is so important, and the scripture talks about so many times, even as we gather together, that things are done decently in order. And how many wish that order would be restored in your, your, your uh, I-5 commute? You know, it's those people that cut you off, that they're out of order, and you wish there was something you could do, but there's nothing you can do about it. But in board games, you can. How many, how many gamers have we got? Any board game people you're like, you love to do board games? Uh, one of the things we love when people come to our house, when family comes to our house and we're just hanging out, we love board games. And one of our favorites uh, as a family, especially when the kids were growing up, was Monopoly. Was Monopoly going through. And I remember even when we would go camping, we would have these, uh, like, tell, er, in the wee hours of the morning, just knock down drag outs over Monopoly. And as you hit it, one of the things that, uh, in order to make this game playable, is we would have to go over the rules, because there are crazy people that have their own rules. And they do house rules. Any crazy people out there? You're like, yeah, well, I've seen those people. They, they have their own house rules, and, and I call it cheating. They call it house rules. Um, but when we go in, in order for the game to be fun, in order for us to do anything, we take some time in the beginning, even though this game's been around forever, to establish what are the rules. Because I don't want to get halfway through, I don't want to get boardwalk and have someone do this crazy rule, you know who you are, that takes away my opportunity to win from this. So the first thing that we do is we go through these rules. And this, this, this is what Ezra is doing. As, as we head down the three-week, Ezra, he's, he's, he's been placed in charge of teaching and reminding the children of Israel how to live according to the ways of the Lord. Because apart from the law of the Lord, we're prone to wander. Oh, I feel it. And so today we're going to be looking at how all in it's important to allow the Lord to come in and restore order. And we're going to see this in Ezra chapter 7, verses 6 through 10. Let's, uh, let's follow along together. Ezra chapter 7, verses 6 through 10, it says, Ezra was a scribe who was well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given to the people of Israel. He came up to Jerusalem from Babylon, and the king gave him everything he asked for, because the gracious hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. Some of the people of Israel, as well as some of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, and temple servants, traveled up to Jerusalem with him in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes' reign. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in August of that year, my birth month. He had arranged to leave Babylon on April 8th, the first day of the new year, and he arrived at Jerusalem on August 4th, for the gracious hand of his God was on him. This was because Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of the Lord, 
and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. So as we continue our conversation today about going all in, I, I pray the Holy Spirit is stirring you and you're like, more than ever, I want to go all in with God. We're going to look at this, the importance of the law of the Lord. But before we look at the importance of the law of the Lord, I think we need to start by looking to our motivation, right? The, one of the first things when an actor looks at something and they're going through it, they always say, what's my motivation? What's behind this? Why am I doing this? Athletes do this. Scholars do this. They ask the question, why? Because everything starts by looking at our motive. So it's important today that we go and we look to our inspiration. And this is important because when we go all in, all in requires direction, Right? All in requires direction. When you're given the opportunity to, to go all in, you don't jump in without direction because you don't want to jump on a bus that's going the wrong direction. And I love how Dr. Whitney, he says this. He says that discipline without direction is drudgery. Have you heard that before? Discipline without direction just becomes drudgery. In other words, before we take people somewhere, before we start heading somewhere, a good leader will always tell you where you're going, how you're going to get there, and more importantly, why we're going there. You know, we all know that the longest journey begins with a single step, but before we take that often difficult, that first step that we take, we need to be inspired. We need to know why we're doing it. Otherwise, why would we even go to the effort of taking that step? The rules of the game, they mean nothing to someone who doesn't want to engage and be a part. That's why God, he had Ezra begin with the temple. And we've been talking about this the past two weeks, how Ezra began with the temple because the children of Israel, they had been in exile, they'd been in slavery. They needed to be reminded about why. Why are we doing this? Why are we leaving Babylon now that we have you know, King Cyrus who his heart's being stirred by the Lord? There are good things happening here. Why would we leave this? Why would we go to, uh, to Jerusalem where there's just there's opposition and the walls are torn down? Everything's, everything's falling apart there. Why would we do this? Well, the temple was a reminder of who God is. It was a reminder of what God was doing and what he wanted to do. See, the temple, especially in that day, it was inspirational to the people because it reminded the people of the importance of worshiping God. And we talked about that last week, the importance of how everything in life begins by worshiping, by bowing our life before the Lord. That's why Ezra began with this. And inspiration is so important because inspiration precedes perspiration. Inspiration, right? Inspiration precedes perspiration. We work hard when we're inspired. I mean, think about it. All of the things that we love to do, all the things that I love to do, the things that now they pour life into me, the things I enjoy, the things that when I have free time I do, and the things that I've devoted my life to, they all began by me being inspired by somebody. They all began by me seeing somebody do it. I mean, you know, I've devoted a lot of my time, attention, and tuition finances to playing piano because I saw somebody playing piano and I wanted to do it. I, I've devoted a lot of my effort and time and study to music because my dad, I, I grew up as the last of eight kids. My dad grew, uh, was, grew up in a Salvation Army church, which Salvation Army uh, church, especially in Canada, I think here as well, was known for the brass bands. Have you seen the Salvation Army bands outside of Fred Meyer over Christmas? Isn't that wonderful, right? That was my dad 40, uh, 30, 40 years ago, uh, not here in Canada. And I, I grew up seeing that. So when I grew up, every brass instrument known, I th probably to that area of, of the country, was found in my home. My dad was just, we were around music, and I wanted to do it. You know, I would watch Hockey Night in Canada, and that inspired me to learn how to play hockey. Never got picked for the NHL, not even close, but I love playing hockey, and I love watching hockey today. You know, we see people doing inspiring things, and no matter what discipline it may be, and no matter what area of passion, there was something that inspired us to do that. 
Later in life, I found Bill Evans, and I was inspired to listen and to try to do my very best. I'm no Bill Evans, but boy, I, I enjoy doing that. You know, the, the other things that inspired me, I remember when we, our, our church hired its first ever youth pastor when I was in high school. Watching him, following him, seeing how he engaged with Scripture, seeing how he poured into others inspired me to want to engage in ministry. We all do that. I mean, think about it in your own life, the things that you love to do. Wasn't there somebody behind it, someone there that inspired you, that you saw them in such a way that you're like, I want to do this? See, inspiration is so important. And I think it's important that we pay attention to this, because whether it was a coach or, or whatever it was, all of these people in my life, the people who inspired me, every one of them took the first step towards me. I was a very shy kid. If I could have looked forward and seen myself standing in front of a room of people talking to them today when I was a kid, it would have freaked me out. That would have not inspired me. But what did inspire me is when my youth pastor took a step towards me. And he began to encourage me and saying, Dwayne, I want you to do the announcements tonight. Totally freaked me out. And he knew it would freak me out, so he wouldn't ask me until just before it was time to do it. Anybody have that experience in your life? Right? He gave me opportunities to speak. I knew music but had no interest in leading worship. I thought it was weird. And so he would ask me to lead worship a half hour before the youth meeting. Not because he was disorganized, but because he knew I would say no otherwise. <laughs> I'm not recommending that leadership style. I'm just saying that worked with me. All of these people took those steps towards me in my life. Professors, coaches. We had a coach that had a team that was falling apart in high school, so he went down to the junior high and said, anybody here hungry to play is willing to follow along and do that. These are all people that took the first step towards me. That's why worshiping God begins with inspiration. See, First John tells us that we only love God because he first loved us. We only know to worship God. We only know about God because he first revealed himself to us. He took those steps towards us. See, all of our worship is anchored in our knowledge and our experience with God. Worship is the very act of God revealing himself. And the Bible says that no one has any excuse because all the creation testifies to the goodness of God. So God has revealed himself. It is made plain, it says in Romans, the things of God. God reveals himself, and now we're given the opportunity to respond. This is the act of worship. And I remember growing up uh, in, in, uh, in church and growing up, and often during our song service, a pastor or a song leader or whoever would get up, and they would share the scripture from Revelation 4, verses 8 through 11. Where, and I was, it was often, we, we would often do that hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. And Revelation 4 says, Day and night they never cease to say, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And it said, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and they give thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And they would go on and you would just felt this faith rising up within you. And I was totally with the pastor. I was totally with the song leader until they said this. They said, won't it be wonderful someday when we get to just have a church experience like this forever, 24-7, day and night, all we get to do is be in church. And at the risk of disappointing you inside, I went, no. See, I spent a lot of time here now, but as a kid, the thought of spending 24-7 at the church scared me. Did anybody else scare you of that? If I was like, guys, we're locking the doors and we're going to be here forever. Not a great church growth tactic, is it? Not a great discipleship tactic. Freaked me out. And I, use, I say that with no exaggeration. 
Because the problem in all of this is I missed the inspiration. And it wasn't until I later got to seminary and I began to study the Bible that I had a professor explain. He said, do you know why they're doing that 24-7? It's not because they're under coercion. It's not because God made these robots that, that day and night, all they would do was bow before him because he's, he is this unjust king that, is just, that just wants all this to take place. No, he said what's happening is they get a revelation and they bow. And they say, holy is the Lord, there's none like you, God. He said, but then when they lift their heads, they get a fresh inspiration in that moment. Because God is vast. One look at God is not going to do it for you. And the response when they see him is to bow again and say, God, there's no one like you. And then they lift their heads and day and night, fresh inspiration, fresh inspiration. And there's ways that we experience that. I mean, have you ever read a verse in scripture and you got something totally different, another new layer that you didn't get that first time you read it? I mean, we get that here in a broken, fallen world where we're still, we're forgiven, but there's the influence of sin all around us. The Bible says that we see dimly through a glass, but one day we will see him face to face. Any idea what that will be like? This is what it's talking about. And I totally missed it. We need the discipline of coming to church, but even as we come to church, there are times that, that I come out of, out of sheer obedience, but I'm, I'm telling you, when you are in a room when there are worshipers that come together and they have that expectation in their heart where they come and they're like lord i'm ready i want to come here today i want to experience you with the body of christ i want to worship you with the body of christ i want to pray for people i want to i want to be prayed for i want to see the miracles of god come come alive in me and there's an expectation because god is god he doesn't change but when our hearts are changed and there's an expectation it changes everything have you ever been part of a service like that we see that often in our worship when when people come in and they're ready and they're saying god i've had a terrible week people cut me off on i5 but you are god and i will worship you I lost my job this week, but you are God and I will worship you. There's things happening in my family that I don't understand, but you are God and I worship you. What happens in that moment, it's not that God changed, but that we have changed, that our hearts have been transformed, and we are worshiping him in spirit and truth, sacrificially, no matter what, because he is God, and our lives are changed in the middle of it. This is what it's talking about. It's that level of inspiration, not that it's just inspirational and surface level, but where we see and we experience God because we're pressing through. And when we do that, that changes everything because when we now leave this place, we are alive in the Lord and we know whatever happens, God has it. He's in total control. I've worshiped him together. I've heard people around me worshiping him. I've had people pray for me. I've prayed for others. And now there's this infilling that takes place out of sheer obedience, out of expectation, out of the realization who God is, and we're changed. That's what this was meant to be. It was not meant to be if things go great, if the sound is great, if they put up the right words, if Pastor Dwayne just speaks something that just goes right to what I was talking about this week. It's like, no, no, no. It's what I was talking about, how so many of our saints who have been here, some who are still here and some who have gone on, as long as you say Jesus, as long as you speak Jesus, as long as you preach his word, Dwayne, I am all in. If I can stand, I'll stand. If I can roll, I'll roll, whatever that means. Aren't those people inspirational to you? Don't you want to be that kind of person? It's that level of dedication that, God, I'm here. I am here wherever it is, in a cave, in a house. When the fish are biting and when they're not biting, that explains my life a lot. I will still praise you. This is the Lord. See, the inspiration for God, the inspiration for everything is God. My purpose, everything is worship to God. The direction of my life, everywhere where I'm going is God-focused, and it changes everything. 
And that's important. But what Ezra is talking about today is he's saying, we're going to start with the temple. You need that. But Ezra's been around the block enough to know (laughs) that left to ourselves, we will get off track. Left to ourselves, we will get out of order. Left to ourselves, it will just be about a feeling, not just that sacrificial worship, but just be about, well, I didn't quite feel it today, and so I'm not going to worship as much. And so Ezra comes back and he says to the children of Israel, we need the law of God because going all in with God requires order. Going all in with God requires order. And some of you, if you've lived enough life, you know enough to appreciate it, you're going, yes, we need things to be done well. And if you haven't been through enough life, you're going, I don't want more rules. Why do we need rules? We can just flow through. But see, here's the thing about God. God doesn't do non-committed relationships. God doesn't do surface. God doesn't care if you follow him or not, or God doesn't care if you like him or not. He, he brings everybody in, but he's, he's not just out for something on the surface because there's too much at stake. See, the law of God, it shows us the way to God, the way to follow him, how to follow God, how to serve him, how to live for him, how to make the most of this life that we've been given. When we look at our lives, we know that there is nothing significant in our life. There's nothing that's been sustained. There's nothing worth going for that has not been sustained and made possible because of the rules and the operation and procedures, the, the guiding policies in our life. Everything that we go after that's worth something has rules of engagement, rules of order. There's a process to everything. Music has this, sports has this, communication, technology, even there's laws of nature. Have you ever come face to face with a law of nature? Gravity, bears. <laughs> there's some, you know, a law of nature is you don't go camping and leave your food outside your tent <laughs> unsealed. See, all of these things, without rules, without following these guidelines, the result is that nothing is left but chaos and destruction. And thousands of years of history, you look through history, you see that when, when the rules have gone, when these ways of, of order that God has established for us, when they're gone, there's nothing but devastation. No relationships function well and last without a commitment to living and treating each other in the way that God has laid it out. The Ten Commandments work for everybody, whether you believe in God or not. These are truths that we go by. And we need them because left to ourselves, we'll mess it up. But the good news is is that because God created us, because he loves us and pours into us, he has given us his law, his order, his ways, so that we can flourish. And not just flourish as individuals, but to flourish with those around us, our neighbors, That's why the love of God and love for our neighbor is so well connected. And he says that one is like the other. If we love God, it's going to be reflected with our neighbor because God's law, God's ways is going to be written on our heart. And as it relates to Ezra, Ezra, he was handpicked for this assignment. It was no mistake that Ezra was there. As we read earlier, when we read about Ezra, we recognize that that Ezra was a priest who who was a direct descendant all the way back to Aaron. We read here that Ezra was also a scribe, and and scribes especially in that day, they were highly respected and they were highly regarded because they were the guardians of Scripture, the Word of God, writing it out, copying it, make sure there there was a process and a procedure that they went through. Now, later in the times of the New Testament, they had gotten off track because it became all about the law and there was no relationship there, and Jesus called them out for that, and he said, you should know better. But at this period of time, they were highly respected. And this was so important 
Because as it relates to the scribes, their whole job was not just to know the law, but to explain it to people and to know, here's how you apply it to your life. Here's how you live it out. Here's why it's so important. And that was the part that got missed when we get to the New Testament. But it's still vitally important. Because it was ignoring and rejecting God's word that had gotten the children of Israel in trouble in the, in the first place and caused them to be captured and to be enslaved by the Babylons, by the Babylonians. See, God's law, it leads us to life. And ignoring God's law, whoever you are, will always lead, it's on the path of destruction, the path of death. And this is the great paradox. You know, I'm reading this book now, The Eight Paradoxes of Leadership. But one of the great paradoxes in life is this one that we see through a scripture, is that freedom requires discipline. Right? Sometimes we think, how can you be free and disciplined at the same time? Isn't freedom just running through a field going, do whatever you want to do? You'll break your elbow doing that way. But see, we know one of the great paradoxes in life is that freedom, true freedom, if you want more freedom in your life, you actually need more discipline in your life. And if you haven't encountered this paradox in your life, you, you probably haven't lived very much. You probably haven't encountered very much. Because the more disciplined we are in any area of our life, the more freedom that we have in that area, right? I mean, we know that the more that I read, the stronger my mind becomes and the clearer my thinking. I'm not saying I'm smarter than you. I'm not. But I grow so much more that when I put that discipline of reading, not just watching you know, salmon-catching videos on YouTube, but I'm, I, I'm reading more. My thinking is clear. My ability to reason and strategize. And, you know, and to make it real, that the more disciplined I am with my health, the more freedom I have physically. The more that I deny myself of certain things, the more freedom I have. See, one of the things that restores me and fills my life is my ability to be active. I love skiing. Any skiers out there, right? I love to run, I love to, I love to ride my bike, I love to kayak. Being in nature, because I grew up in the woods <laughs> of northeastern Canada, it fills my soul, but that means that, I've got, that I need to take care of my health, and it's actually, it's the act of denying myself, right? No candy for you, Dwayne. Stay off the milk, Dwayne. I've, I've discovered things that actually hurt me now at this age in my life. I just turned 50, I feel young, but uh, no more leche for me. Because... It hurts my body. But would I rather have milk and feel poor or would I rather have the freedom of a body that can go skiing, that can go for walks, that can take a dog for a walk, that can function well? See, one of the things that COVID stole from me and, and, and I think stole from so many is it stole our health and it stole our sense of adventure, whatever it is. Whether your sense of adventure is, is going off for a hike in the woods or whether it's going for a long walk or whatever that may be. Golfing, walking, having that freedom. And one of the things that we set up as we headed into, into this year was that we're going to regain our health back because we want to have that freedom. In every relation, every area of lives, relationships, athletics, finances, arts, and sciences, all these things, they need order in, in order to excel. We need to be disciplined in our study, our practice, our habits. These, these disciplines, in order to have them, though, they require that we give up freedoms. It affects our time. It affects what we do. It affects our finances. But in order to thrive, we need to abstain in, now in order to have something later. I had a professor in college 
And he talked a lot about, every day he talked about delayed gratification. Delayed gratification. And he's talking to a bunch of college students that, no, we're for instantaneous gratification. I want gratification right now. But he always talked about, no, you delay for today so you can have something greater. Have you heard that principle before? Delayed gratification? I mean, we see this all throughout Scripture. Jesus teaching his disciples and all the prophets talked about this aspect where you die so that you might live. You, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We deny ourselves of our rights so that we might live for Christ. It's something greater. We're not going to be caught up in the, in the present, but we're going to live for what the Lord has us. See, how well we do in life is directly connected to our ability to understand and to embrace this paradox that freedom requires discipline. But it's not enough that we start there. It's not enough that we just understand this. It's not enough that we just have the right answer put in a test. Because more importantly, all in requires obedience. <laughs> all in requires obedience. See, once we understand this paradox, our, understand, our understanding of it, it needs to translate into obedience. I love what, what, what it says in 1 Samuel. It says, to obey is better than a sacrifice. And when Samuel was saying this, he said, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, or your obedience to his voice? He said, listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than the offering of the fat of rams. And this is so essential for us because so many times we can fall into the trap of this common saying. Have you ever heard this saying before? It is easier to ask forgiveness than to get permission. Any confessional time out there today? <laughs> right? Why'd you do it? I knew it was easier. To, I knew you wouldn't let me do it, but I knew that you would forgive me. Have you ever had a student or a child say that to you before? Nobody. Maybe I'm the one messed up. <laughs> I am the one messed up. See, it sounds good, and I think there's times that I've fallen in trap, and I've been with people that, and I've, I've even worked in places where it's like, no, I'm just going to do it. Why? Because they're never going to let me do it. I'm just going to ask forgiveness. And, and they'll have stories about here's how it worked well, and here's, how, how, here's this account. I did that, and I was praised for it later, and I got a job promotion, and that may sound all, all well and good, but here's our challenge because as it relates to God, we know that God will forgive us, and he does. He is faithful every time we go to him, every time we return to the Lord, he is faithful to, to forgive us. But the problem is that in every act of defiance, going my own way, I'm now creating more and more habits. I'm creating a rut of disobedience. So does God forgive me? Yes. But if, if this is the covering of the Lord, this is walking in his will, this is where he wants to be. If I go over here and say, I know God will forgive me, so I'm going to do that thing. And so I walk over here, I do it, and I say, God, forgive me. And he says, yes, I forgive you. Now, true forgiveness means I turn away from that and I walk back and I get in line with, with the Lord. But sometimes what happens is we'll stay over here and we'll say, well, he forgave me that time, so I'm going to go over here and I'm going to do this thing. We say, God, do you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you, now come back. And now we keep doing this thing. And we keep doing this thing. Do you see where I'm walking today? Does God forgive me? Yes, but look how much further I have to walk now. Look how much higher I have to walk. I'm not talking about a grace that's put on works. I'm talking about that when you walk with people, when you've lived a life, you know that the Lord forgives you. But the more that we keep walking away and that we return, the whole point of forgiveness is what? Reconciliation. And when we ignore that and we walk away, when we ignore the law of the Lord that's meant to protect us, to cover us, to pull us back, we take advantage of the grace of God. See, the grace of God is not so that we can do whatever we want. The grace of God is so that we can return. And I'm here to say this, that wherever you are, if you're over in that corner back there, I'm not pointing at anybody. I'm just pointing back that corner. <laughs> Can God get you from there to here? Yes. 
And there's times that I've seen God do great miracles, but there's also this process of healing that takes place. And in my process of going from here to there, I've hurt people along the way. And Jesus said that if you're laying at the altar and all of a sudden it's brought to your mind that you've hurt somebody, what's your first responsibility? Is to go to them and say, please forgive me. So instead of having a path of carnage along the way, why wouldn't I just say, God, I, I, I want to walk in your ways. I want to be in your will. I want to be surrounded by people that are going to help me, not because they're trying to put laws in my life, but because they want me to flourish. They want me to walk in the ways of the Lord. They, they want me to have that life to the full because I think what I missed so many times as a kid is I saw the rules as just rules versus God saying, here's how you live the life to the full. Here's how you play this game. If you walk in the ways of the Lord, your life flourishes. Even though difficulty will come, God shows you the way through it. And the further away you get, will God bring you back? Absolutely. That's why he gave us the story of the loss of the prodigal son. The son came back, but he sold off all that he had. He still had the father. And the whole point of that is like, yes, you can return. But boy, choose you this day. Instead of going through more heartache, more hurts, instead of hurting people around you, return to the Lord. Get rid of gossiping in your life. Sometimes we can think, well, it's just drugs and sex and all those kind of things. And those are there, but that's in the same line. When God talks about these things, when it lays it out in Romans 1, it talks about things like gossiping, like being disrespectful to your parents. Amen? Amen. Right? Because all those things get you off track. And God doesn't give us rules because he just wants, to, he, he wants these robots that come and he's like, no, I made you in my image because I want you to flourish. I want you to experience the fullness. I want you to experience the love of God that will change you and then love those around you. That's the whole purpose. Whatever you sow, we, we will reap. But I'd rather correct it when it's a small plant that can just, someone can just pluck it out of the ground than to wait until it becomes this great tree that has to be destroyed so that I can live again. See, this is all about the heart. That's why obedience is one of the essences of loving God. I love how Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Everything. It comes down to that. It's a complete surrender to the Lord. I hope I'm communicating that to you today. Because one of the key things, and I think it's in, in discipleship and walking with people, is that when we talk about here's how God has laid it out, it can come off as a list of rules. But it's... It's so much more than that. It's like, no, this, this is a manual. You want to live your life just like you want to do these other things, whatever it may be, architecture, medicine. You want to build a house. You want to, you want to be engaged in music. You need to know the laws of, of music because they allow you to flourish. God wants you to flourish because he loves you. Sometimes we struggle with obedience because it feels like we're giving everything away, but it's one of the great paradoxes of life that the more we give, the more we receive. Have you found that to be true? The more that you give, and you know, my dad would say that all the time, and looking back, I didn't realize how great his sacrifices were at the time. Most kids don't. I didn't recognize it. But looking back, I look at how much dad invested in me. Not a wealthy man, but boy, if it was, if, if it was something that brought me closer to the will of God or something that was called, he gave up so much. And at the time, I was just, oh, thanks, Dad. And I kept walking. And, that's, and he was okay with that because that's what kids do. But if you look back and seeing how others have poured in, and as you look back, you're like, man, they really sacrificed a lot. 
Do you know what they would say if they could talk to you today? Because there are people that invested in my life that they're now in the presence of the Lord. And my dad says this. He says, I'd do it all over again and more. And even, even when I go home, he's like, son, is there anything I can give to you? He's on a fixed income in a nursing home. Everything goes to the nursing home. He's like, is there something I can give you? <laughs> I'm like, dad, you've given so much. He's like, I give it all, all again, again. Because I want you to know the Lord. I want you to walk in the Lord. If it puts you on that path, if it helps you understand the Bible more, if it connects you with others. Because he, he recognized what it says in Proverbs where it says, give freely and become more wealthy, but be stingy and lose everything. There's a wealth that was poured into my dad and a wealth poured in so many others that is beyond finances. That ability to be used by the Lord. Proverbs says the generous will prosper and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. The one who waters is watered themselves. All throughout scripture, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's why it says that the Lord loves what a cheerful giver. Giving is not over coercion. Giving is that heart of a Lord, it's that heart of a, a worshiper that says, God, everything is yours, you're my provider. I'm giving it all to you because I'm going all in with you and not because I have to, but because I want to, because I recognize that you provide and that as you flow through me, you keep giving and giving and giving. And it's not a motive thing, it's not a get rich scam because that's not gonna work. But it's that attitude of, God, everything I have is yours. I want to be a vessel that you pour through. I want to be used by you. And I'm telling you, the, the further I get down the line, the more, when I look back, I wish I had done more of that. I wish I'd stopped with people more. I wish I talked and invested in people more. I wish that from a younger age, I learned that. Because it's a spiritual principle. That's why obedience is evidence of our faith. And as the worship team comes today, as we get, get ready to, to respond to the word of the Lord, this, this word, obedience, is evidence of our faith. It comes from, from a thought that, you know, so many times we see it in Scripture, and even people will come and say, you know, pray that I'll have more faith. Pray that I'll have more faith. Do you know what Jesus response was often to those questions? He said, if you only had the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to that mountain, be moved, and it will be moved. Here's what he was saying. Moving a mountain in that day was a metaphor for doing the impossible. So what Jesus was saying, he was not denying faith. He was not saying that you don't, you don't need faith. He's saying, no, he's saying what you need is obedience. He's saying you need to put feet to your faith. You have everything you need. As followers of Christ, you know God, you believe in God, you know what's there. And he's saying all you need is something that you can barely see. It's just right there, but you need to apply that more. He was telling those people, you don't have a theological problem. That's not the problem that you have. The problem that you have is a functional problem. Your faith is not functioning properly. You need to move beyond hesitation and say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. When God speaks, I'm going to move out in faith. I'm going to test the Lord. And that's why Ezra is saying, let the word of the Lord be in your heart because God's not going to go against his word. When we're filled with his word, when we're walking in the ways of the Lord, our confidence in God's voice grows. And then when we see it, we're like, yes, Lord, that affirms your word. That affirms everything you've written. You're speaking it. You're saying it. You're moving my life. I want to go. I want to step out. I want to take these great steps of faith that you're calling me to. But it requires that step. See, Jesus was saying that acting on just a tiny amount of faith will do the impossible, but we need to act. 
All of these things, they lay the foundation in our lives. Studying the word, knowing the word, praying, being prayed for, being filled with the Holy Spirit. So that God doesn't have to push me over to get me to move. He just has to say, you want to do something fun today? Do you want to be a part of what I want to do in that person's life today? And you're going, yes, God. Yes, Lord, I trust you. Speak to me. Speak to me. Can we all stand together today? See, the whole purpose of the law is to show us how to hit that mark of our creator. I love how David said, he, he said in Psalm 119, he said, Lord, your word, your voice, your commands, your ways I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you, which means that I might not miss the mark. I don't want to miss what you're doing. And then in Psalms 19, it says, the instructions of the Lord are what? Perfect, reviving the soul. His law refreshes us. The decrees of the Lord are what? Trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right. They bring joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Lord, speak your word to us today. God, I don't want to miss you. I don't want to miss the, any opportunity. Lord, we're living in a day, we're living in a culture that wants to divide us. It wants to divide the church. It wants to war brother against sister, mother against father. We need your word. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us. Bring joy to our heart. That we may be trustworthy with what you've commanded us to do, how you're leading us today. Amen. As we respond today, you know, I always have questions because these are questions that, as in my part of preparation, I always, these are questions I've asked myself. And I invite you to do the same. But as I spent time in this passage, I, you know, I asked myself, you know, Dwayne, where am I headed today? <laughs> <laughs> where, where am I headed? And I prayed this prayer to the Lord. I said, Lord, does my life reflect one that is pointed towards you? When people look at me, they're going, man, he's, he's directed towards God. I invite you to do the same. And then invite the Holy Spirit to speak to your life. And as you ask yourself, where are things out of order in my life? We all fall there we're following Jesus but it's a sometimes it's like this isn't it it's an up and down we're going through we we hit things invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you and just ask this question where are things that have ordered my life where is obedience difficult that's often where it is where am I struggling to obey the voice of the Lord not Dwayne's voice where am I struggling to obey the voice of God where am I struggling to obey scripture where's that struggle and then what is my next step? Because faith requires obedience, which leads to an action. We're going to take some time. There's lots of time here. We have many ways for you, for you, for you to respond. We have a, a, a prayer team. And Stephen, Deanne, I'm going to ask you to come just a little bit closer over here because I like you. These are people that have been praying all week for you. They would love to pray for you. Prayer changes us. When we engage with people in prayer, I, I would encourage you that as a, as a team leads us, just come forward. And if there's people here, just, just stand in line behind them. Pray with one another. Maybe you're standing next to somebody that you're going, you know what, I, 
I want to pray with you. Turn to the person next to you and say, would you pray for me? We have prayer walls. Prayer is important. Go to the prayer wall, write it out, journal it out. I do all of these things. We also have communion stations where you can just go and it's just a little packet that you just take. Bring it back to your seat and when you're ready, go ahead and do that. I'm not going to lead you in that. That's just you and the Lord, that reminder of the sacrifice of God. But find some way to respond today. Amen. Lord, speak. We want to walk in your ways. We don't want to miss you. Speak to us, Lord, now as we respond obedient to you. Do your will and your way. Lord, I'm praying for healing. Lord, as we respond, Lord, if someone's sick, may they come forward for prayer. And may they find healing in you. May they find restoration, whatever it may be, physical, mental, anxiety. God, we bring it to you as Philippians 4 tells us. We cast all of our cares and anxieties on you. And we do that with one another. We respond. We act now in this place in your name. Whatever the need is, just begin to speak the name of Jesus and speak it out loud. Lord, we speak your name over every anxiety, Lord, over depression. We speak the name of Jesus, Lord, over our family. Lord, so many, Lord, the enemy is working hard to attack, but we speak against it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen, church. We speak the name of Jesus, your name. Power, life, healing, resurrection, Lord. In Jesus' name. Your word tells us that all authority has been given to us as followers of Christ, your disciples. So we speak your name under the authority that you've given us. Let there be healing, oh God. Break the power of the enemy in every area. Heal our families. Heal our relationships. Heal us, Lord. Every chain of bondage, let it be broken in Jesus' name. Just, just speak it out to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. Say, Lord, I speak this, your name to this area of my life. Just speak it out to the Lord. We speak the name of Jesus, the name above every name, the name that which everything must bow. Everything in heaven and on earth bows before you. So we speak your name. Now, Lord, help us. Help us to walk it out. Help us to live this out. Lord, we know as we go all in, there's this opportunity, but we know that it doesn't mean opposition is stopped. But Lord, we know that it only takes the faith of a mustard seed for the mountains to be moved. It only takes the faith of a mustard seed for the impossible to take place because all things are possible with you. And that's not just a cliche. That's not just a, a neat little saying. That's, that's who you are. So, Lord, let that be realized in our lives. In all that we say and all that we do, we, we speak the name of Jesus, your power, your authority. In your name, Jesus, amen. 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 Yeah, the Lord praise. Amen. And recognize when we speak the name of Jesus, we're not just speaking some kind of magic potion and we're just Jesus. It's we're, we're saying that Jesus is alive in me. We're saying that Jesus has first spoken his name over your life, who you are. Walk in that. Live in that. Be connected in that. If the Lord has spoken something to you today, don't keep it to yourself. Share it with somebody. I'd love to hear it, but speak it to your group. Share it with your group. Live it out. Walk in that. The Lord's not speaking things over us just so it will stay here. There, there are those deep things that the Lord said, I'm speaking this to you now, but walk with us. We're going to walk this out. But we need to share and live our testimony. Amen? Let's say this together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now go and live for Jesus. 